I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. We are continuing our study in the book of Romans. and I invite you to take your Bible and turn with us to Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Beginning with Romans chapter 13, Paul has been talking about how we should relate to the believers around us. We've learned that as believers, we're to love one another, help one another, and accept one another. This section serves as the climax of all of those thoughts, and here we learn that we are to have a spirit of toleration towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't take us long to realize that we're all different. We're here from different places. Many of us have different backgrounds. We're all at different stages and areas of maturity in our walk with Christ. There are different types of upbringing, different cultures, some of us. And if we are careful, we can allow those differences to become a problem in our fellowship with each other. However, it's our differences that actually make the church possible. If we were all the same, it'd be a dull and boring place. But the fact that we're all different allows the church to be a place with unique personalities and they meet and they produce a dynamic that can be found absolutely nowhere else in the world. This may not be the best illustration, but take a band, for instance. In a band, you have all types of different instruments. They sound different. They look different. They're all played differently. If you played each instrument individually, it might sound all kilter, it might sound uh, not so good, but when you put it together with all the types of different musicians and their playing habits, and they follow a leader and they stay together, they produce a beautiful, beautiful sound. That's the Lord's desire for his church. When we allow the Holy Spirit of God to operate in the church we love, we respect, we tolerate 
one another and produce a symphony, a symphony of harmony that the world cannot duplicate. And when we all love the Lord as we should, and when he's allowed to lead as he should, there is peace, there's harmony, and there's power in the church of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of talk in the world today about tolerance. They mean that we are to affirm other people regardless of what they do with their lives. For instance, if a person is openly homosexual, then the rest of the world is supposed to honor that person and encourage that lifestyle. That's what the world means by tolerance. Well, friends, there are some things that we just can't tolerate. If things are contrary to the word of God, we are not to tolerate that. Friends, there are just some things we cannot tolerate. What I'm preaching right now is an attitude within the church that accepts the personal differences of our brother or sister in Christ, an attitude that loves them just like they are, even when we disagree or even when they are wrong. We might not be able to support their view, but we must still practice love, the love of Christ for them. That's the theme of this passage And as we take a few moments here to look and discuss the tolerant Christian, the important things that we see, we will see that it teaches us how to love one another and live with one another. Verses 1 and 2, we see the duty of tolerance. Paul begins verse 1 by taking us back to what we've already learned about the matter. And Paul has been talking about the weaker brother, that brother who needs rules to keep him straight, that brother who likes to point the finger at what other brothers are doing. Paul has been drawing a contrast between the believer who is mature in Christ and understands his liberty in Christ and the believer who has not reached that level of maturity, and does not feel free to live in actual liberty. He tells the stronger brother that he ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. The word ought introduces a condition of obligation. It tells us that we have a duty to our brothers in Jesus Christ, and this duty must be carried out effectively if we will practice two methods of life. And if we're going to help our brother and sister grow in the Lord, we're going to have to do what Paul tells us to do in these first two verses. What is that? Verse 1, live a crucified life. We are told to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The word bear is of the utmost importance here. It's the same word used in John chapter 19 and verse 17 where the Bible speaks of Jesus bearing his cross. It's also used in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 where we're commanded to bear the burdens of our brother. The entire idea here is one of self-denial, self-sacrifice. When Jesus went to the cross, he laid aside his rights for us. He denied himself He suffered in our place. He bore our infirmities 
on the cross. He set the standard that we're all called upon to follow. And one of the problems of our day, both in the world and in the church, is that most people are so self-centered and so interested in pleasing themselves that they cannot and will not see the needs of others. This verse is a call for us to get our eyes off of ourselves and to get them onto those who are around us so that we can reach our friends and neighbors with the love of God and make a difference in their lives. In other words, when the church operates as it should, there will be times when you will voluntarily lay aside your own personal rights and privileges for the sake of others who may be weaker in the faith than you are. There will be times when you will deny self so that the church as a whole may prosper. That is Christ-likeness in action. That is living a crucified life. But in verse 2, Paul said, also live a constructive life. Now Paul moves deeper in his thinking to tell us that we are to please our neighbor. Paul is not saying that we should try to live to please everybody. If you do that, you'll soon learn that it's just not possible to please everybody. You're not going to please anybody. He's not teaching that we should compromise our standards just to make someone happy with it. He's not advocating to please everyone at any cost of mentality. That is dangerous and it's wrong. Paul is saying that we are to live the kind of lives that build up, that is edify others in the Lord, causing them to grow, causing them to mature, causing them to strengthen themselves in the Lord. We're to so live that when we meet them in heaven, they say to us, thank you for living for Christ in front of me. The kind of life we live in the presence of others either has the power to build up or to tear down. And ultimately, every Christian is either in the construction business or the demolition business. Paul is saying that we should live the kind of lives that help others grow in the Lord and do not hold them back. That means that we're to give up a few of our rights along the way, so be it. If that means that I have to deny myself along the way, then so be it. If it helps my brother in Christ to grow stronger in the Lord, then I am to live to please him. We're to be like Christ. We're to be like Jesus Christ. And in that, we live lives that build others up instead of tearing others down. Romans chapter 14 and verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. But also Paul tells us and teaches us in verses 3 and 4 the demonstration of tolerance. He gives an example of our Savior in verse 3. If you're wondering how you can do this and where you can look for an example of this kind of living, then look no further than Jesus Christ. Paul says that he is our supreme example of a person who lived his life for the good of others. In all that he did, Jesus is our example. He set the standard. 
He sets the standard that we're to follow as we go through life and think of all that Jesus went through to provide salvation for you and me. He left heaven according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He suffered poverty according to Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. He was reproached, hated, rejected by those he came to save. John chapter 1 and verse 11. Even his own family refused to believe in him. John chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. And ultimately he was nailed to a cross and there he died for a people who hated him so that they may live. For us, the lesson is clear. We are to be like Christ, even if we're laughed at as we serve others, even if we're ridiculed and reproached, we are to serve others. Even if we're hated and misunderstood, we are to serve others for the glory of God. That's what Jesus did. He lived his life to please the Father. And as a result, he was able to give his life for the world. When we live to please the Lord and do his will, we will have achieved the goal of our being, of our being like Jesus, a living sacrifice. The idea in verse 4 is that when we go through this life serving the Lord, there will be times of discouragement and defeat. Unfortunately, those times will come. And in those times... We must learn to live in the Word of God. Notice I said live in the Word of God, not look at the Word of God. You literally live in there day after day. It's there where you gain your encouragement. It's there where you gain your maturity. And the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear does not come from God. There's fear rampant in the world today because we pay too much attention to the world speaking to us. We're listening to the devil's airwaves. We're listening to the television. We're listening to everything but God. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. So the more you spend time with God and the more time you spend in the Word of God, the less you are fearful because you become strong and confident in God's word and in the fact that he's sovereign and in total control. So whatever comes, it doesn't matter. God has not given us a spirit of fear. I can be confident in the Lord because I know he's in control. I know he's all-powerful, and I know that he's never steered me wrong. He always has my good in mind. Christ is our example. When Christ was tempted, he used the word of God. When he was on the cross, he quoted the scriptures three distinct times. Matthew 27, verse 46. John chapter 19 and verse 28. Also Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. That shows us that in the most difficult times of the life of Christ, Jesus himself used the word of God for his own comfort, his own strength. And if he did, how much more do we need that kind of help? Therefore, the believer must be well acquainted with the Bible. When the difficult days come, and they will, you can run to the Word of God and find help and strength to make it through those valleys. No one ever said that the Christian life was easy. 
However, it is not an impossible life. It is if you aren't in the Word of God. It is impossible if you are not in fellowship with God. It is impossible if you're not speaking and listening to God. But it is very possible and probable that you will succeed when you rely and follow God. By the way, when you don't spend time in the Word, it shows. When you and I don't spend time with the Lord, it shows. We get critical. We become mean-spirited. We become intolerant of others, and we're hard to get along with. Spend time in the Word. We must have it. Now, in verses 5 through 7, we see the delight of tolerance. In these closing verses, Paul uses a word four different times. This one word is the secret of a great church. It's what makes a church a powerful church for the glory of God. A church is not great because of its buildings. It's not great because of the number of people who attend. It's not great because of the amount of money it has in the bank. It isn't great because of the singing and the great preaching. That's not what makes a great church. The secret of a great church is found in the little word, one. What makes a great church is unity. When we come to the place where we can love one another in spite of our differences, when we can accept one another in spite of our disagreements, when we can worship together in spite of our personal opinions, then we are on the way to becoming a great church. This kind of unity is accomplished through the practice of tolerance as taught in these verses. There is a payoff for being like Christ. And these verses tell us that the payoff is threefold. Verse 5, we discover it produces a unity of purpose. This verse tells us that we're to be like-minded. That is, we are to be one in purpose. This was the secret of the early church. They grew by leaps and bounds because they possessed one common goal, and that was to see men come to faith in Jesus Christ over and over and over in the book of Acts. We read the phrase, in one accord. They were all like-minded. They wanted to see people saved, and that was their supreme goal as a church. Everything they did revolved around bringing men to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that this is the solution to every problem any church has. We've tried to redefine growing the ministry of a church We've tried to redefine revitalization of a church. We have all the programs. We have all the experts. We have all the psychologists. We have everyone telling us how to do it. But the premise of what worked in the early church is a single focus, a like-mindedness. They sought to win people to Christ. When the church stops arguing over the color of the carpet, what kind of hymnal we're going to use, who did or did not clean up this or that, can we move this, do we have to get permission to do that, and get our focus back on the primary 
task of the church, and that is winning souls to Jesus Christ. Satan has done a phenomenal job in getting our focus off the main thing, worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ and winning people to him. Paul tells us to do this according to Christ Jesus. Why did he come into the world? He came to die on the cross. He came to see sinners saved. And the church needs to rediscover that burden. If we can stop all of our fussing and our bickering and our problems and our symptoms and our solutions and our opinions and what some professional said, if we can just nail down the sole purpose of our existence Worshiping God and getting the gospel out, it will revolutionize the church. We look out and we see empty altars. We've got empty pews. Why are people being saved? I ask you this. When was the last time you told someone about Jesus Christ? When was the last time that you prayed someone to be saved? When was the last time that you as a Sunday school teacher or as a deacon or whatever position you might hold in a church or a church member that you asked someone about their salvation or you wrote a card of edification and encouraging a brother and sister in Christ? When was the last time you talked to someone about their soul? God, help us to rediscover the importance of telling people about a saving Lord. But in verse 6 we see it produces a unity of praise. Paul tells us that when we rediscover the essential ministry of winning men to Christ, it produces an atmosphere of praise and worship in the church. One of the problems in the modern church is that we're always trying to cook up some excitement. Trying to get something worked up or pray it down so that we can leave and talk about what great service we had. Let me tell you, and when we get our minds and our mouths united in the same purpose, we won't have to work it up and we won't have to find a way to calm it down. For instance, with our mouth we sing, I love to tell the story, but in our minds we're thinking, there's no way I'm going to talk to anyone about Christ. There's an inconsistency in our worship that needs to be worked out if we're going to enjoy the Lord's power in the church. We gather in the church to worship and be equipped by the preaching of the word of God so that we might leave the building and go into the world, which is our mission field, to serve the Lord. It's a great thing to come in the church house and worship, but it's equally great when we leave the church to serve a risen Lord. As we get busy for Christ and tell the world about his saving grace, you're going to see souls saved because when the gospel seed is sown, the Lord brings the increase. And as we see souls saved, there's going to be an infectious excitement in the church. There's a verse in Hebrews that tells the story better than I can. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? That verse tells us that when the church gets her mind and her mouth together 
in a unity of purpose and praise, people get saved. And when people are saved, the Lord Jesus Christ shows up and leads the anthem of praise to the Father. In other words, the Lord himself will be pleased and to be in the midst of his church and will fill this place with excitement and enthusiasm. Verse 7, as we close, this will produce a unity of practice. When we're operating as we should be as a local church, as a body of believers, as the bride of Christ, we will be quick to accept one another as we are. We'll love one another in spite of our differences. We will love to look at one another as Jesus did when he saved our souls. When he came to Christ by faith, he accepted us just like we were. He loved us. He saved us by his grace. He welcomed us into the family of God. And it should be the same way in the church. We're to love one another. We're to receive one another and accept one another just like Jesus did. There will be love in the house of God. And love like that is contagious. People will hear about it. They'll run to it because it's truly lacking in the world around us. By the way, this same acceptance flows over into the realm of outreach as well. When we're walking as we should, a man's past or his present condition will have no bearing on whether or not we share the gospel with him. There'll be a desire to see people saved and to get them in church. They may not look right when they get here. They may not know the right things to say. They may not dress like you do or act like you do in church. But if you can get them to Jesus Christ, he saves their souls. He changes their hearts and he makes them like he wants them to be. And if he's happy with them, then we should be too. So do you have a problem? Do we have a problem accepting others just like they are? When they're different from you, you have an obligation to love them, to reach out to them with a Christ-like love and compassion. God help us. God help us in our churches to realize that glorifying God, getting men to Christ, and growing our brothers and sisters in Christ is the most important activity that we can engage in as a believer. Nothing is more honoring to the Lord than these things. May they take their rightful place as the head of our priorities. If there are issues in your life, if there's things in your life that you've held from God, bring that to Him. Confess it to Him and allow Him to remove that through repentance. Oh, if you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Would you come to Christ? Would you consider Him? Would you commit your heart to Christ this morning? Would you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin? Would you say that to Him? He's waiting to forgive you. He'll forgive you now. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.